Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is our new podcast. We have no idea what we're doing, so bear with us, and we'll None whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> we'll figure it out together. Um, today, we're going to cover a few, um, some of the uh, older games in the beat 'em up genre of video games, uh, and these kind of came about in the late '80s and early '90s, and had a, a, a peak in that era. And we're going to go through and give you a little bit of the evolution in the different types of games that led up to that genre and uh, some of the the big hits that came out at the time. So, David, what do you think defined, like, the beat-em-up genre? Ah, childhood aggression, maybe? I I don't know. (laughs) I think that's a good one. No, I, when I really think of the beat-up genre, I mean, I'm thinking of that sort of 2.5D scale, you know, where you're moving up and down on the on the, on the the plane of play. So and, you know, almost a 3D right. type axis. Right, kind of a 3D, you know, the, the best that those old systems could do. You know, and it just, well, what else can you say? Beating people up with a variety of moves, weapons, and whatever. And, you know, it's, it does. you had some of these that were more platformer type that we're going to talk about, like Kung Fu and Bad Dudes and all of this stuff. But, yeah, that's what it is for me. Basically just beating people up with a lot of different techniques. Yeah, and I think, uh, I, think I agree on most of that. Uh, my biggest draw at the time for these types of games would have been the multiplayer. Absolutely. Uh, that is some of my best memories are, are waking up, going in, and uh, after a sleepover with one of my friends, and, and spending three or four hours just beating the crap out of people and right. Ninja Turtles. Right. Um. So, I think it. Uh, that's one of the main reasons that these were so popular is because before, in home consoles, a lot of the games were single player. Uh, you run into you know some of the other hits like Mario and. Uh, you know, they claim to have a two-player mode, but it's not really two-player. Right, you're just swapping out. You're just swapping back and forth. Um, so, when it hit the point that you could actually play more than one person at a time, that was the game changer, in my opinion. Right, I mean, that was a big revolution. And like you said, it just it allows you to just be there with your friend and not just, like I said, swapping out time to time. It's a lot better. Definitely. The first thing we want to get into will be the sort of the genesis of this series, uh, or this this type of game, uh, it all kind of started in one place. Most of these games were inspired at the time by old school karate films. So Bruce Lee inspired the first of its kind uh Kung Fu Master, which was released originally in 1984 for the arcade, and it was later ported to consoles, most notably uh, the NES at the time. So it was developed by Erum uh, and distributed by Data East in North America. And it was a, a tie-in game at the time uh, to the film that Jackie Chan made uh, called Wheels on Meals. Uh, even though the game has no connection whatsoever uh, to the to the film, other than the characters share the same names uh, in the film and in the game. Uh, now, this game was released in Japan as Spartan X, uh, and you play as the main protagonist in uh, what ends up being kind of a tired trope in this genre. You got to go get. You beat up girlfriend back from some dude. <laughs> it's it, always it, every time. It's always the same. These are the most careless women on the face of the earth. They it's they terrible. really are. <laughs> and, uh, one thing I will say. One thing that got me. Um, one of the games that we'll be covering later is uh the Karateka. It uh it has one of the baddest women protagonist or. I guess an antagonist at the end, like if you when you go to the to the ending of the game and you actually try to, uh, you can either run up to her and 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 hug her, or if you run up and hit one of the attack buttons, she would just flat out beat your ass in one hit. <laughs> so you kind of had a, a a multiple ending kind of thing there. Uh, but in this game, you play as uh, Thomas. Like I say, it shares the same name as uh, Jackie Chan's character in uh, Wheels on Meals. 
and uh, you're going to save uh, your girlfriend Sylvia uh, from the kidnapper Mr. X. Uh, and, and that's pretty much it. It's straightforward. Uh, the way that this game was laid out was in the movie uh, Game of Death, which was a 1972 movie that Bruce Lee starred in, the setting was a five-layer pagoda, and he would travel up each floor uh, and fight stronger enemies as he went up. And that's exactly what this game is based off of. So you've got this weird mix of a Jackie Chan movie and a Bruce Lee movie, but the whole thing is very much inspired by the martial arts movies of the uh, 70s and 80s. So, have you got any thoughts on Kung Fu Master? Because this this one was, I don't really, it's sort of the first in the series of what we would call a beat-em-up game, but it really is more of a platformer. In my it is. Opinion. I mean, you know, it's very much a proto-fighter. You know, you see a lot of the uh, little trends. It's a lot of things that would become a part of the genre as it went on. Like, I remember in Kung Fu Fighting, it's or Kung Fu... <laughs> we're talking about the game, not the song. <laughs> sorry. In the game Kung Fu... I remember that you didn't so much have, like, let's say, combinations of moves as you did. If you timed them right, you could hit a combination of enemies to rack up points. Yeah. It was the kind of like the martial arts version of Mario bopping three Goombas at once, you know. Only this time you're kicking three dudes in the face at once. And and, and one thing that, that this ser- this game has that, uh, that the later games, each enemy, you just hit them once. So you just smack one dude right in the face... And he falls over, and, and then the down. next guy comes. Um, and boss fights. Man, is that ever a carryover? Like, like, how many of these games always have a boss fight at the end of the stage? Well, Kung Fu had that. Pretty much everything that came after had this. Right. Um, I mean, any beat-em-up that you, that you can think of from the from this period is, is all set up sort of in that same formula. You know, you think about how the boss had a life bar. You know, so many of these games, nobody has a life bar, but the boss always did. Yes. I guess that emphasizes his importance or, you know, just gives you something to look forward to as you see if you're making progress or not. Or in this game, the sword guy at the beginning of the floor, first floor, that slaughtered you every single time. (laughs) He was fucking awful. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, this was, uh, this was very much an influential game at the time. Uh, it actually had a sequel, Spartan X2, um, which is not nearly as, as popular or famous as this one. I can't say I ever played that one. I, I, I've i seen some videos on it, but I never even took the time to, to sit down and play through it. Um, it just, uh, it was released a little later. Yeah, I remember playing the original uh, NES version of Kung Fu as a kid, but uh, that's all I had exposed to. I don't think I ever played the original arcade cabinet. I played one of those, I think it's called Play Choice Things that Nintendo set up as an arcade cabinet, but it was just the NES game. Yeah, and it's it was, it was a popular arcade cabinet for sure. Uh, it was one of the highest earning... Uh, cabinets that you could get at the time and it was advertised as such in the in the supplementary materials uh, but just to give you an idea of how, of how popular this was at the time it sold 1,420,000 copies that's uh, a lot in its lifespan that's a lot in this era that you know, really is uh, this is and you you have to think because most people did not have home consoles at this time no uh, most people were exposed to video games through the arcade. Right. Still so, more of a niche market. I mean, kind of. Arcades were big, but... And they were so much fun. It's one thing I really miss having a local arcade. Or, I did too. Or even a pizza shop, you know, where You're you right. can go and just throw some quarters at it and, and just waste $5 in a couple of hours, you know. Right. Pay $10 for a pizza and another 5 in the arcade room. And it was... Oh, man, it was so much fun. But yeah, that's... When we talk about a beat-em-up, this is pretty much the genesis. Kung Fu Master. It didn't really get into too much complicated game mechanics or anything like that. You punched, you kicked, you jumped and kicked. you jumped and kicked or ducked and kicked. Right, uh, and that was that was pretty much it. Um, 
It did throw some variety of enemies at you, though. It did. Mixed you things had, up. You had knife throwers and uh, and diff- people carrying different weapons and stuff. But, yeah, it, it was a very influential game at the time. And I can definitely remember playing this as a kid and having a lot of fun, even though we barely ever made it out of the first level. <laughs> that kind of transitioned into a, a game that was released later in that year. And... It's really not a beat 'em up game either. Uh, this was this was the car take up. This was originally released in 1984 on the Apple II, uh, and then later released in 1985 on the Atari, the Commodore 64, and the NES. It's still being released on uh, on virtual consoles today. So this was a really influential game. Uh, and, it, and it has started as a as sort of what you would consider a PC game nowadays. Uh, and it was created by a guy named uh, Jordan Mechner uh, while he was attending Yale University. Uh, and it was, like I say, for the Apple II, and then that was distributed to everything else afterwards. And it was distributed in North America uh, by Broderbund and Areola Soft. Is that how you say that? I hope not. <laughs> A-R-I-O-L-A-S-O-F-T? It sounds like Areola Soft. But we'll go with that. We're going to say that. It's uh, better than nipple soft. I, I know, guess. right? Uh, and it is con- this is considered the earliest fighting game. So it's sort of a, what you would consider a fighting game slash beat-em-up game. But it is more of a fighting game. In a sense that, you know, in my in my view, a beat-em-up, you have multiple enemies uh, at one time. Whereas in this game, it, it feels like more like a Mortal Kombat style. One-on-one. One-on-one. Very slow gameplay, though. That's one of the things I noticed about uh, a lot of these older games going back and playing them, you know, now is that the controls are really clunky in some of this stuff. Uh, and it's mostly just because the uh, the system limitations at the time they were shit. <laughs> it's so hard to go back to. It it, re- it really is. But yeah, this this is very much in the same story. You, your main protagonist, uh, he's an unnamed in this instance, has to save a princess Mariko uh, from Akuma and in his castle. So you literally go, you're going to save the damsel in distress again. This game was pretty pretty influential. It wasn't as big as the Kung Fu was. This game sold 500,000 copies uh, by the year 2000. Like I say, it, it definitely introduced some of uh, the, uh, the combat mechanics that you'd see later on. Uh, but I don't think it was as influential as Kung Fu uh, was in, in the... the way that these games were eventually evolving into the, the beat-em-up genre. Right, maybe not as influential because it just didn't get the exposure. It, you know, if you, if you weren't playing it on a PC or anything, you weren't playing it. Definitely. So, you know, when you have something like a home console that's devoted to video games and that's selling millions of units that brings something like Kung Fu on board, well, now that's going to have some influence. Yeah, and you got to think, too, the the price of some of this, this stuff at the time was just outrageous. Right, you dropping up a, a couple thousand dollars on a what is the equivalent the equivalent of a calculator and computing power nowadays? Right, right. So after that, the next game, this is the one that you that you looked up for us was Renegade. Talking about Renegade, Th- yes, this is it, guys. Like you know, like I say, the the Genesis was kind of kung fu, but Renegade is this is the birth of the genre. Yeah, Renegade, and if you're in Japan, this is Niketsu Koha Kunio-kun. That was the name that was released under in Japan, later renamed Renegade, because I think the Japanese phrase uh, translate to something like angry, tough guy Kunio. <laughs> you know, so that just didn't do well in English, so they, they named it Renegade instead. And uh, Kunio-kun would become a big character for the uh, for the... Taito, Technos Japan group. It was developed by Technos Japan. It was distributed by Taito. Head designer, Yoshihisa Kishimoto. 
And really, like, the reason why we're giving this so much credit for being a start to this whole beat-em-up genre is because you see so many of these uh, characteristics that you would see over and over again in Double Dragon, Final Fight, Streets of Rage, whatever, where you have this big plane that you move up and down, left and right on. You have a variety of moves that you can use to defend yourself with. One thing that seems to carry over into so many of these games is the ability to throw one dude into another. I don't know why that was such a big deal, but like all of them let you throw one poor hapless sap. Awesome. Into... Yeah, know? I mean that, that that feels great. How can what what makes you feel stronger than picking a guy up and tossing him into his buddies, beating the shit out of his friend with him, it, with him, <laughs> with with his helpless body? Yes, that that's that's great. One thing that fascinated me about reading of this, we we were talking about uh, just a minute ago about how this was based on martial arts movies and things like that. This one, uh, the the one that was released in Japan, uh, Niketsu Koha Kunio-kun, had more of a sense of humor to me when I'm looking at it because it's about this, Kunio is this high school tough guy who's defending his friend who keeps getting beat up by all these high school gang bullies. And that's the story. Every time, every stage starts out in the arcade version of his friend getting beat up by one gang or another. And then Kunio comes running out of left field, screaming and yelling at all the bullies who go running off. And then the fight starts. You know, then you get to play. It felt a lot like early anime. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I'm not the biggest anime fan, so you probably know a lot more about this. But yeah, it has that kind of, you know, kind of zany humor about it. And when it gets ported over here to the U.S., an interesting thing happens. Uh, it doesn't have any humor anymore. You see, now it's just this grim, you know, the Warriors-style story about, you know, a dude... I don't know. I, I think a girlfriend gets kidnapped again. That's exactly what it is. His girlfriend gets kidnapped again by these gangs. And so he has to go... Yeah, these again, Always the same. Always these poor <laughs> women. I, I don't know what world these people live in, but man, just... Move to a new neighborhood. But anyways, yeah. So he has to go rescue his girlfriend, and and everyone's given these you know warrior style looks. Like like they actually change the sprites. Instead of wearing uh, Japanese school uniforms, people are wearing you know gang uniforms, like the the leather vests and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, like I said, it you know it still has a bit of a sense of humor about it, but that's that's a big change to note. Especially when you look at some of the materials that would come along with the arcade and the NES. You know, they just they just had that harder, tougher look. They're not as colorful. So I guess that's what they had to do to appeal to us in the West. At least they thought. Yeah, and you you can definitely notice, like, if you go back and look at period, like, uh, advertising art between the two different countries, the, uh, the Japanese material is always... Uh, and this is for any of these games. It's always more colorful, uh, more cartoony in nature. Yeah. Uh, and you go back and you look at Double Dragon, especially, for instance. You look at the Double Dragon artwork from Japan, and then you look at the stuff from America. Like, they try to make it super gritty. Like, uh, they've actually got tattoos uh, on their arms with hammer and spike. Right. And, and they look all, I mean, they just, they look really stupid looking in the American art. Yeah, I think that's how Billy, <laughs> that's how Billy and Jimmy were originally known as Hammer and Spike. Yeah, that's what, that was the intended Which I character think, names. I, I, for I don't the, know. Is in that, the West, anyway. Uh, that's kind of better than Billy and Jimmy, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> or what, what was the later, um, there was a... <laughs> Who made that change? An, an issue that, uh, that came up, and it was a mistranslation, and I think it was Bimmy and Jimmy. Yes, yes, Bimmy and Jim, Bimmy and Jammy, I think, or something like that. And that was just uh, one of the the numerous times in these uh, lost in translation aspects of these games moving from Japan to America. Yeah, if you play Double Dragon Neon, which is a, a modern take on on the old fighting game, um, I don't know when it exactly is published, but like you know, not too many years ago, really. Uh, they actually have characters in there called Bimmy and Jammy that you fight. And they're like these big mutated kind of warped versions of Billy and Jimmy. And then, so, yeah, that was a big mistake. But, but yeah, I guess this was a good transition to work into Double Dragon at this point. Because, like I say, um, Renegade and Double Dragon, they are basically 
Double Dragon is basically just a sequel of Renegade. If you it is, yeah. I, the story is different, but the gameplay is the same. And that's because you had the same director. Right. Um, Yoshi, what is his name again? Yoshihisa Kishimoto? Yoshihisa Kishimoto, yes. So, and, and you'll see, like, as we go through this later, the series later, and, and cover different genres, you'll see a lot of these names multiple times, right? So... I mean, you only had a few producers at, at, in the 80s, anyway, of, of high-quality games. Uh, and a lot of those, you know, the publishers and the developers came directly out of Japan, and they all worked for the same people. So any, anytime you saw a Technos game, for instance, you, this guy was probably attached to it. Right, right. Now, one thing that interests me about the whole Renegade thing, when we're thinking about this movement, we keep saying it's such a big part of these games, you know, moving up, down, left. That may have started with wrestling video games because this same group put out a game called Map Mania before it released Renegade, and that's how the movement was. Before that, there was a game, I think it was called uh, Tag Team Wrestling. Again, you get to move up, down, left, right. So really, we might have wrestling games to thank for this movement from platforming to this sort of 2.5D movement. And you'll have to excuse our um, dumb hosts in the background being fools. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah they're, they're getting their own fighting game going on right now. <laughs> but yeah, Round I could, one. I could definitely see a, a wrestling game uh, kind of having influence on that. Uh, another thing that came up, um, this, uh, the... Uh, and we'll cover the last game in the series that uh, Renegade, the Kunio Kun series uh, that you mentioned with Renegade. The the second game in that series uh, was actually a dodgeball. It's <laughs> super dodgeball, right? And, and it kind of featured. I think they kind of took the movement that that we're talking about and kind of used it to make that dodgeball game because you had that. 3D kind of feeling, but it wasn't really 3D. Uh, but you had the, the feel of 3D that let you move up and down right. around, the, around the court right. in that game. So I think they realized at the time that this was a pretty big deal. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, I know Kunio Kun certainly was. He was basically the title character for these guys, and uh, they made I, I don't know how many games they made with that guy. I think it was like 20 some odd games that I, featured Kunio Kun. I, and I know that he he eventually. Had he had uh, mangas and he had animes and everything else uh, around him. I think I should just be saying Kunio. I think Kun is some kind of descriptor. It's a, uh, it's sort of like a younger describer of a. So like you got Son would be an equal and Kun would be like somebody younger. Ah, okay. Um, okay. so it's it's more of a kind of denotes an age or uh, familiarity. In, the, in Japanese, it's just a formal way of it, or a less formal way of addressing someone. Gotcha. But yeah, that's, uh, like I say, Renegade, it, it transitioned really well into Double Dragon. And, oh, yeah. And let's be honest, this is this is it. Okay, so you got prototypes of these kind of beat-em-up games, but Double Dragon is when you get there. This yep. is the birth of the golden age of the beat-em-up game. 1987... Uh, July, it was released for the arcade, uh, and it was re- later released on basically everything. Some of the ports were god-awful. Like, they released a freaking Atari port that was... It is... Go look it up, and it is the worst thing I have ever seen in my life. How they... Like, there's a, a square for the head in it. <laughs> <laughs> The mechanics are awful. I mean, it's just a bad game. And and there were a lot of these at the time. Like, they, they released this on tons of different... You know, any console that was out there, any computer uh, that was capable of running anything even close to it, uh, they, they cashed in on that sucker. Uh, I can't even find... Uh, and I, you know, and I... I I look pretty hard. I can't find actual sales, how many units of this game were sold. And I think it's literally because there were so many sold that they couldn't keep track of all of it at the time. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, there's no telling when you take the series as a whole how many millions of units you're talking about. You know, you might be able to isolate something like number. And I'm sure somebody has the figures, but that that's that's a lot of stuff to take in. And like, like David was saying, there were... 
what, five different Double Dragon main series games along the way? I know you had three that were released for arcade, and uh, then you had, you know, all three of those found home ports, especially on the NES. Then in addition to that, you had some like crossovers, like I think there was Double Dragon and Battletoads. Oh, and that is fantastic. Which is fun. A lot of fun. And then later you would have like the one I was talking about, Double Dragon Neon, which is, you know, much, much later. They actually did a Double Dragon 4 that I've yet to play that it's done, as I remember, it basically looks just like the graphics on Double Dragon 2, like for the Nintendo but it's uh, it's just a new, brand new game that they released about, I don't know, five, four or five years ago, something like that. Yeah, and I noticed that as, like, uh, looking into these older games in these series, I've noticed that there's kind of been a resurgence there in, this, has. in this, uh, this kind of genre of games. Uh, it kind of died out almost for a little while there. Once uh, everything moved into the 3D graphics, mm-hmm. uh, the beat-em-ups just didn't translate well into early 3D games uh, until you got something sort of like Devil May Cry, because that, right. that very much, or God of War, would very much be considered a 3D beat-em-up game. Right. And I would almost say, like, Gauntlet would be kind of considered something similar to that. As a, as a sort of, even that was a 2D game uh, in its early iterations, but it's uh, it's all stemming from that, that same, in my mind, tons of people coming at you, and you just have to kill waves and waves of people. Kill, kill, kill. Double Dragon, like most of the games at this time, was based off of Bruce Lee. And you see that in the, the names of the main characters, Billy and Jimmy Lee. So... You can really see how big of an influence uh, his movies had on the the culture in this time period. Like we were saying, the arcade game game was great. Uh, the biggest bonus with the arcade game over the console game is you had this is where the two player beat 'em up really came in. So you didn't actually get the two player on a console until Double Dragon 2. Right. At, at least the main game, you could fight each other in Double Dragon 1, right? Right, yeah, that little kind of B-side mode. Yeah. But... And, uh, I mean, once it once you hit the point, like, and that's why I say the first one is, is the big one. Like, if you played it in the arcade game, or nowadays if you go back and play it on a uh, an emulator, which are ridiculous to get running... That that's where the the real fun of the time, in my opinion, started. Is once you kind of got into these, um, when the developers were pushing, let's make it more than one person, more players, more fun. Is what uh what what one of the technos de- de- developers uh, that was his uh, motto when it came to these types of games. So weapons, I think, was another big thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think uh, in Renegade you were allowed to pick up any weapons. You were just fighting with your fists the whole time. But by the time you get to its spiritual successor, Double Dragon, oh, all kinds of weapons. Whips, ball bats, barrels. Barrels. I mean, whatever. And that that's definitely something you see in pretty much anything that came after it. Um, so, I mean, you can you, if you look at it as a whole, multiplayer... Uh, 3D movement. In the arcade version, you had waves of enemies. Uh, in the console versions of, of Double Dragon, you were limited by the hardware to two on the screen at one time. Uh, but they kept coming. So waves of enemies, uh, a boss at the end. I mean, this is where the formula really sets in. But uh, after Double Dragon would have come... What have you got next? Oh, well, if you want to just jump on to something else. I'm not really... I don't know if I want to go to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or if we want to go to Final Fight. Interesting thing reading about Final Fight. The, uh... They actually talked about being inspired by Double Dragon 2 to uh, create this game. 
So, you know, Final Fight comes around in 1989 on the arcade. And, of course, this is, this is a big thing. I mean, you have these big, beautiful sprites and that this are... is one of the main things I remember the most is the graphics right. upgrades. It, it looked great. The gameplay was, was sharp and fantastic. It, it Oddly enough, it didn't go for the two-directional fighting that things like Double Dragon and Renegade had where you could kind of hit people on both sides at one time. But it gave a lot of variety of attacks. And uh, also it kind of simplified things. Instead of having like a punch or a jump and a kick, you just had two buttons, jump and attack. And that was it. And you use that in a combination of little maneuvers to do all kinds of different moves. Uh, this is another game that got ported to practically everything that could possibly do a version of it. Uh, major, you know, like I said, just to me, the, the, the gameplay, the graphics really stood out. Uh, the arcade was a, a big success. You know, the, the SNES version of Final Fight was a major success for the system, even though it was way parsed down from the arcade. I think the arcade could have something like eight characters on s screen at once. Uh, the SNES could only handle like three. Uh, you couldn't have simultaneous two-player. They cut a character. You know, so there were a lot of cuts made to the SNES version. But, but it was still so good. It was still like, great as a fighter, and it made a tremendous impact on the scene. Like, this is this is really where you start to see, even if it wasn't quite the full game, this era is when you got to bring what mostly was the arcade game home. So you had really cheap... Um, not the graphics weren't as good before, but when you moved into the Super NES and you moved into the to the Genesis era, that's when you really got to sink your teeth into something in your living room, uh, and, and that's like I say, all this kind of corresponds to these games really taking off in this time period, and there were tons of them at the time. Yeah, I've emphasized graphics a lot, but to me, I I, I enjoy the gameplay in these 16-bit fighters uh, quite a lot. To me, they hold up much better today than the older 8-bits. The 8-bits is a bit of nostalgia factor going back to them that you can enjoy, and you know, I think I think most people could have fun with them today. But these 16-bit fighters, there was just something about the, the movement, the pacing, just the, the, I don't know, the sounds and the graphics. It just made everything a lot more satisfying. And it's, like you said, it still holds up, like, much better than the later, early 3D games that came out. Yeah. The graphics yeah. were so bad in those that it's, it's hard to go back and play them unless they've been remastered. Right. But these 8-bit eight and 16-bit and 32-bit games... They're just, they're still good. They really are. They, they they hold up well. Like I said, there's something about those older 3D games that, I don't know, there's a jankiness to them that, that's a little more jarring. Whereas if you go back to, uh, you know, the, these, I think it's the difference of something being at a refined point in its development. You think by the time you get to games like Final Fight, Streets of Rage, and, you know, Street Fighter 2, and Mortal Kombat, all of these were, were very refined products for the technologies they were dealing with. Whereas if you go back to really early 3D games, you know, whatever you may want to imagine, you're dealing with something in the infancy of the technology and everybody's still kind of feeling their ground. Yeah, because right? you, you hadn't figured out how to do camera angles or, or how to make, uh, you know, the movements not clip through walls and stuff at the time. So, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. Uh, you're dealing with, uh, with something that had been refined to perfection at this point yeah and i mean you can feel it and they, and they started to do better with the uh final fight games on the snes by the time you get to final fight 2 which was it, it that wasn't an arcade release you either played it on the super nintendo or you didn't play it and they were so good they oh, were but you know by the time you get to that you you had a simultaneous two player you had the three characters to choose from the graphics were improved i think there was you know more characters available on screen so you know it, it, it there were just massive improvements as they went along yeah and you go back and you look at the graphics compared to some of the more modern recreations of these games like so that like they're still making like final fight series games uh but if you look at the graphics of the ones nowadays they look very similar to the ones from that era and part of that is you know playing off of the nostalgia for people like us that that grew up with these types of games sure. uh, but part of it is just that's that 
was where it was most refined. Like that's what looked good. That's what played good. Uh, and that's what people still want to go with today. So Final Fight and Streets of Rage, those are two that I kind of see kind of along the same lines in my memory. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, Streets of Rage was kind of an answer to Final Fight. You know, Genesis wanting to have something that could, uh, you know, really be an attract for that audience. And uh, it was released for Sega in 91. Again, it, it, this was a console-specific game. I think it saw play on one of these uh, Sega arcade cabinets where you could like play for time. As far as I'm aware, it was essentially the same game. You know, There was really no difference between what you would find in a stand-up cabinet and what you would find out on the home console. Uh, again, it saw release on uh, you know, all the different Sega systems, the handheld, the Game Gear uh the genesis the sega cd and and now you know it sees more modern releases on things like if you have steam on pc you can buy it there and uh again a lot of similarities between that and final fight it has what i like to call the kind this kind of capcom pause where every time you hit something especially with a hard hit there's this little pause in the movement for just it gives it impact you can see it, you feel it when you're playing Street Fighter, you feel it when you're playing Final Fight, you feel it when you're playing Streets of Rage, too. I don't know who the first person was to do that, but it's it, it's definitely there. Like a like a slow-mo, almost. Like. Right. It's like you've hit, so the momentum stops for a minute as you make that hit. You know, and it's good. It, it gives it gives the hit some, some uh, heft. Definitely, definitely. It, it feels good. But yeah, but uh, you know, same kind of gameplay we've been talking about all along. You're just moving up and down on the screen, left and right, bosses and all of this, weapons galore. Just, uh, but Streets of Rage, I think was it. It holds up well today too. Uh, it's it's not graphically as impressive as the Final Fight series, but the gameplay is great. Yeah, and one thing you know that we mentioned earlier that I really loved about the Final Fight series was you get to beat the shit out of cars. <laughs> right so you had like a little bonus stage and you'd roll up and there would be a car and you just you just trash the thing and yep it was so satisfying like i say it was some you said it was something you know that carried along to, to street fighter right. 2 at the you time. get the bonus stage where you get to destroy another poor saps car and uh, you know I, I think it bears mentioning at this point we should all congratulate final fight because you did not have your girlfriend captured in this game it was your daughter <laughs> progress gentlemen progress you know going off of that there was really only one game in this entire genre that did not revolve around a woman being captured in the story and that was golden axe and this game is just different than the others <laughs> Because it did not take place in a gritty street fight environment. This was all done in a fantasy. Like a different type of realm entirely. So you had monsters and dragons and magic and all that stuff. Uh, and you had sort of similar gameplay as the others. And I'll, I'll go as far as to say is that Golden Axe wasn't... The combat wasn't as refined as you got in something like Final Fight or Streets of Rage. Uh, but it, it definitely had a good story. So you had between different levels, you would you would progress, and each uh, you know scrolling text would come up and tell you what was happening. And uh, each character had its own individual story. Uh, so you had three to choose from, uh, and, and it it just had a more unique feel to it than pretty much anything else in the genre. Uh, and it was released, you know, in, in around the same time period, in 1989, uh, and it was developed by Sega, uh, and it was released on just about everything as well, uh, and it, that seems to be the uh, the standard. Which I, I was surprised when I was reading about it, because if you'd asked me as a kid, this kind of stuff existed at the arcades, it existed on the Nintendo, on Sega... And that was it. I was completely oblivious to the fact you could play it on like all kinds of family home PCs. You know, ZX Spectrum, uh, Atari ST, and all of these kinds of systems. I, I think it's mostly you didn't notice it as a kid it, because the games were trash ports. <laughs> um, like, 
I just had Dave sit down a little bit earlier, and we we tried the difference between uh, the Master System and the Genesis versions of Golden Axe. And you can definitely see a huge difference in the way the game is played. Right. Uh, So, like, the Master System, it felt clunkier. The graphics weren't as good. I mean, of course, the graphics wouldn't be as good because it's a little older version of the cons, you know, of the Sega type console. Uh, but the the actual gameplay suffers. Uh, and when you were dealing with systems that were less sophisticated than the Master System, y- y- a lot of times they pumped out these ports that were just garbage. Uh, they just weren't good, and that's the way a lot of these were. Uh, and one thing. Um, touching on that subject that I remember vividly from my childhood is getting a Game Boy. Like the old school green screen Game <laughs> Green Boy. and black. And they released all these absolutely worthless ports of these games. So you had stuff like Mortal Kombat and and just about anything you can think of that, that were released as games on the Game Boy. And they were not anything like the console versions even though they were advertised to be pretty much similar i don't know how they got away with it at the time honestly uh people were desperate for that stuff i don't know (laughs) good marketing that's how they got away with it. i guess so i mean they just they took the the characters and the story and just threw some stickers on some piece of just trash just the idea you could take mortal Kombat with you was enough (laughs) no it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) it was it was awful i remember being furious at that game (laughs) uh but yeah golden axe it had a um it had a unique story uh each character like for instance the male barbarian axe battler was his name um who Strangely enough, didn't carry an axe. <laughs> right, fights with the sword. Uh, he's seeking revenge for his mother's death. Death. The uh, the Amazonian uh, revenge for her parents' deaths, and uh, the most unique character was the the dwarf. So you actually had something that was different than a human in this, in this fantasy setting, uh, and and it was revenge for his brother. So yeah, you kind of uh, you all have the same kind of storyline you're you're trying to kill the main guy his death adder is his name uh but it's not a, a woman tied up in a chair at the top of the level <laughs> so right. finally with golden axe with streets of rage we're not rescuing with w- women who are trapped we're, we're actually fighting for a reason and there's actually women fighting with you so th- this is this is much better gentlemen <laughs> And to, to kind of go back on that, um, one thing we didn't talk about in Double Dragon, um, one unique thing that the arcade version of Double Dragon did was when you, there were two characters, multi, it, was, it was a multiplayer game, and there was only one girl. So when you got to the end, you had this little little fight, like you had to beat the crap out of the other player to win the girlfriend. Uh, and whoever got that got to, got to go to the uh, you know the cinematic at the end. Uh, I just thought that was pretty unique. Yeah, that's some really disturbing psychology to think of two twin brothers fighting to the death for the same woman. It, it really is. After you had just beat your way through an entire city full of people, you got to fight to the death at the end to get the woman. The real villain was Marion the whole time. She's a straight up psychopath. <laughs> that is so true. She's psychopath. Uh, but yeah, so Golden Axe was a it was a great series. It sold a ton of copies as well. Like I say, it's it was really hard when you started getting up into these later releases of these games that came out on multiple consoles to get any concrete numbers on this stuff. Uh, but th- it was it was a big hit. It was a big franchise. You you had Golden Axe two, Golden Axe. The Revenge of Death Adder, Golden Axe 3, Golden Axe Beast Rider, and there were a bunch of spinoffs and stuff. You also kind of had a tie-in, and it was because the, the lead developer on this uh, this game was uh, uh, Makato Uchida, and he was also responsible for Altered Beast at the time, Ooh. which was another 
you know, kind of side-scrolling beat-em-up type thing. Uh, it, it was really well done. It didn't have the 3D type movement. Right. It was like Kung Fu and, and Greek mythology mixed up. It was really bizarre. But, you know, some of the stuff that came out of Japan uh, in that time period and still comes out of Japan it can be really <laughs> strange. Uh, to, to our eyes and ears. Yeah, but it, it definitely worked. Uh, so you kind of had... Um, you kind of had all these uh, these fantasy, myth- mythologically-themed games all kind of tied in, uh, which was pretty neat. But, you know, at this point, we're kind of moving into uh, the later sections of, uh, like, toward the end of the, of the beat-em-up heyday. The only one I've got left that, that was really super influential was River City Ransom. And this was the, the third game in that Cuneo series uh, that we talked about. So this came after the dodgeball game. That poor dude never got a break. And it was, uh, this one was the one that uh, that brought in the multiplayer, but it also brought in, and, and this is why it was kind of revolutionary, it brought in an RPG element to the game. So you had, not only did you have a character that was going out and beating the crap out of people, you could stop by shops and buy different foods that would increase different skills, or you could buy different items that would give you different attacks and things like that. It was a really well done game. It was just not as popular in the United States uh, until later. It kind of became a more of a cult classic kind of thing after the fact. Uh, but it but it was really influential in in my view into pushing into games like you would see like God of War and stuff like that, because you had an actual story behind it and you could have items and, and different, you know, weapons and things like that that, that kind of originated with this game. Yeah, almost all of these modern beat-em-ups, uh, they have some kind of progressive or role-playing element to them where you can, you know, you increase abilities or you gain new abilities. Like I was talking about Double Dragon Neon earlier. It's kind of a love letter to the 80s as well. You go into these shops and you can get these cassette tapes that give you, you know, like extra abilities to use in combat. And, you know, so almost all of them feature this kind of RPG element. I hate I missed out on River City Ransom as a kid. I would have loved that game. We Neither one of us got to play this when we were younger and we just kind of stumbled across it doing the research for this episode. Uh, and it's good. It really is. Holds up pretty dang well, I would say. Um, but you know, and one more neat thing about this game was it had bosses based on Billy and Jimmy from double dragon. Ooh. So, uh, we haven't actually been able to sit down and play through this whole thing, but I got a feeling like that's going to be the next thing that we do. Uh, at some point is is try to sit down and cover that game in more detail at some point. Of course, you know, there's, there's so many games we could get into. You know, who can forget things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that, right? That was that, my favorite beat-em-up growing up. I mean, we, you know, I, I used to play it at this skate rink. And, like, I spent more time playing that than I did skating, which, which was probably for my health because I've always been a klutz. But... David is a giant, by the way. Well, I can't skate. I know that. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, really fun. Like we said, it, you know, really fast combat. You had not just two players, four players. Four players. Four that really at once. up the ante in Wow. <laughs> you know, and then it comes out for the NES. And of course, it's, you know, it's, it's way parsed down from the arcade version. But still a fun game. Good graphics for the Nintendo system. And uh, it was also multiplayer. And that was just, uh, you know, I think that was a great one. It was it was a it was really child friendly was the thing. I guess for the time anyway. I don't know that people would really want to have their children playing Ninja Turtles that beat the crap out of <laughs> enemies in, in waves like that. I hope people we haven't gotten, gotten kind of PC nowadays. Yeah, but... I hope we haven't gotten that sensitive. <laughs> I mean, but um, but yeah, that, that there were multiple Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games. Um, but overall, I mean, you, you're looking at about this time, once the, the third Turtle game came out, um, that was the, what was it? Turtles in Turtles Time. In time yeah, Turtles in Time. That's when you're really getting to the end of the popularity of the beat-em-up. And it's more toward 
the fact that the 3D consoles were really kind of getting in development at this point, and people were focusing more on moving into a different different type of platform. So this is when the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64 era would have been kind of coming out. Right. Uh, kind of like, reinventing the wheel here at this point. Exactly. So people people went full hog into the 3D graphics, which was a good idea. Um, but early, early, you know, it drew a lot of the development away from most of these 2D games. You still had some, but the novelty at the time of a 3D 3D game kind of killed this genre to a certain extent. Nowadays, it's kind of made a resurgence. Like I say, you still have some of those original style Streets of Rage type 2D kind of kind of beat 'em up games, uh, but there there's a, there's been a kind of a following in the background of games, sort of like the the Warriors or um series like a Hyrule Warriors would have been one yeah. for the Nintendo or uh, Dynasty Warriors. Dynasty Warriors, right. Um, and then, like I say, there there have always been some big blockbuster games that a lot of people don't really think of as beat-em-up games anymore, but they really are. So like like we mentioned, the God of War series uh, and the Devil May Cry series. Um, so there's always been a few of them out there, but that, that childhood version of the beat-em-up the 2d 3d kind of mix um multiplayer where you could sit down and 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 play with a friend and just beat their waves of enemies like they it really did kind of disappear uh and you don't see it as much today yeah but i mean you know you you look at boxing at mma you look at all these different comic book movies there's always going to be a demand for beating the snot out of endless number of people. Definitely. That's just something in human nature we love to say. I don't care if it's Achilles, you know, hunting down everybody in the Battle of Troy or what. There's just always this desire to have some guy, just just a hero we can look up to, who just mops the floor with everybody. Definitely. But yeah, that's uh, that's the beat-em-up genre. Um, we've... You know, we didn't cover every title at the time. There were a oh, no. bunch of beat-em-up games, no guys. Uh, and there were a lot of really good ones. Uh, but the ones we talked about today, they were definitely the most influential of the time. Uh, and if you go back and you play these games, and I would recommend that you do that, you'll definitely see where a lot of these modern game mechanics kind of originated from. Uh, especially, go back and play Renegade. Uh, and you will definitely see how that game kind of defined the whole genre by itself. So go back, if you play Kung Fu and then, and then jump right to Renegade, you'll see a huge difference in gameplay mechanics. And you'll see what's starting to stick and what isn't starting to stick at that time. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was a really unique type of game. Uh, and it really, they, they were one of my favorite types of uh, of, of things to play on a Saturday morning, you know? Oh, I loved them. I played so much of the Double Dragons when I was a kid. But, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, we're going to try to do this on a weekly basis. Uh, we may not always get one in a week. Uh, we've got to do a little bit of research. We want to make sure we've replayed three of these games. Uh, we want to make sure we don't miss anything. But, yeah, we're, we're going to try to do one a week. I'm not sure exactly what platforms we're going to release these on just yet, uh, but just go with us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Thanks for joining.